Notes on Deconstructing the Populism, Music on the Campaign Trail, 2012 and 2016. This is Justin Patch from Vassar College for Tracks in the Trail at Georgia College. There's perhaps no better phrase that defines this election cycle in the U.S. and perhaps also the EU better than a return of populism. Populism in the U.S. broadly defined as an appeal to the people against established powers, social structures, and hegemonic ideologies and values bubbled to the surface in the wake of the so-called Great Recession. The despair, fear, and frustration of citizens fomented competing political ideologies and brought these conflicts into the fiery cauldron of the campaign. With foreclosure, unemployment, debt, and declining prospects in existential reality, populist ideas from both the left and the right gained traction. These ideas pitted progressive against conservative populism in a uniquely 21st century context of mass media and popular culture. Popular music participates in essential functions of democracy, performing and pedagogizing the electorate and inventing the people. Listening to the music of democracy is as essential to understanding it as reading its histories. Popular music, through its familiarity and flexibility, is capable of embodying both the partisan and the nation. It temporarily resolves contradictions in the unstable formations between hegemonic and marginal groups and creates an affect that is both timeless and modern by constructing and narrating a mythical past and a utopian future. Analysis of the political efficacy of culture are acts of self-realization. They inform us of our relationship to music and make less opaque the effects of music on our political senses. Their stories must also be included in democratic histories. Jacques Attali states that in modernity, music is the monologue of power, the constant enunciation of industrial capital and the culture industry. Following Attali's dictum to lend an ear to music so as to better understand power and potential, listening to the forms and formations of 2012 and 2016's political music tells us the prehistory of the populism that is now pervasive in popular ideology and in the current campaign. And the relationship between music, populist rhetoric, and power on the campaign trail. What lies at the intersection of campaign uses of popular music and populism is a complex mass of operations, attempts at creating effective links, reinforcing collected identities, creating new identities, and a constant contents to create the people. As historian Edmund Morgan tells us, at the birth of democracy, there was a need to create a people, to define national culture, needs, and visions in such a way that the many could be ruled by the few. David Hume observed that this task is more easily accomplished than it should be, and that it is often accomplished through the manipulation of opinion. Hume also noted that opinion is manipulated by emotion. In these calculations that ripple across crowds of supporters, the airwaves, and the internet, music is often a catalyst. A close examination of the campaign music, populist policies and ideologies, and historical links between late 19th and early 21st century populism illuminates the cultural work that politicized music does or attempts to do and puts the race of 2016 into broader historical context and raises questions about music's role in future campaigns. 
Contemporary popular music culture is embedded in this process and was a key component of the nascent populism of 2012. Currently, we see it front and center in 2016. Leading up to the 2012 campaign, competing ideas of populist policies manifested in the Tea Party on the right and the Occupy movement on the left. While both of these umbrella ideologies had contradictions and mutually distrustful factions, which demonstrated the breadth of populist politics, their impact on the policies, rhetoric, and cultural expressions of both sides was clearly felt. For the Romney campaign, the nativism, isolationism, rugged individualism, jingoistic nationalism, and valorization of white working class culture of the Tea Party ideology manifested itself in Romney's choice of Kid Rock's Born Free as a campaign song. And I don't want no one to cry, but tell them if I don't The any voice should be heard ideology of the Occupy movement was also partially echoed in the Obama campaign's mixtape, which also repeated some of the shortfalls of the Occupy movement. In 2012, country music was the key ground on which Romney labored to convince voters of his conservatism, patriotism, and dedication to a nervous, vulnerable middle class and an angry working class. For Romney, Born Free embodied major gaps in his campaign persona and communicated to his supporters on the level of ideology and affect. Contemporary popular music was also the plane on which Obama met a divided and disheartened electorate and appealed for another four years to finish the project of repair, restoration, recovery, and redemption. Like a fool, The Obama campaign largely abandoned the soundtrack of 2008, marked by Stevie Wonder's Sign Seal Delivered, Yes We Can by John Legend and Will I Am, and Brooks and Dunn's Only in America. The 27 song 2012 mixtape ran the gamut of radio appropriate pop, containing healthy doses of Nashville country, classic soul, adult contemporary, and inspirational songs. Conspicuously missing were hip hop, electronic, and Latin artists, save for Ricky Martin and rock artists long associated with democratic campaigns. In the current campaign, we hear both parties working with popular music to accomplish a number of populist projections. As an accompaniment to Donald Trump's nativist, protectionist, pugnacious rhetoric, his campaign music is both incredibly mundane, featuring an amalgamation of classic rock, Broadway hits, and the famous aria Nessun Dorma from Puccini's Turandot, and played on repeat at high volumes. His deployment of popular music is both familiar and numbing, creating a bond between himself and his base of frustrated and disaffected conservatives who feel alienated from the government and troubled by the direction they perceive the country to be moving. His populist policies and ideologies are framed by sounds of an American golden age of the late 1970s and 1980s. Hillary Clinton's campaign is also using pop music to its advantage as well. In particular, Clinton has embraced the much maligned woman card since clinching the nomination. But before this, 
she released a 30-track all-female mixtape for Women's History Month, which included tracks by chart-topping artists like Katy Perry, Beyonce, Sia, Shania Twain, and Lady Gaga, as well as the Skylar Sisters from the Broadway smash Hamilton. Clinton's playlist frequently target young listeners, although her recent campaign stops featured, of all things, music by John Philip Sousa. By featuring contemporary artists who are household names or are in rotation with younger listeners or background playlists. She has generally abandoned her playlist from 2008, which included Celine Dion, Tom Petty, and Aretha Franklin. Listening back to the mixtape from 2012 with 2016's ears, I detect a hint of the surgical execution of politics that seeps from the Clinton campaign. While political campaigns are all games of calculation, successful campaigns are able to play on spontaneity in the guise of listening and allowing voices and narratives from the periphery to proliferate through the PA. While Obama's oratory was able to sway voters, his musical selections hinted at forgetting youth, particularly urban, educated, and youth of color, in favors of policies aimed at Main Street, the suburbs, baby boomers, and maintaining an economic system that is making enemies, particularly among young voters who came of age in the long shadow of the recession. This critical silencing came to fruition with Clinton, who has struggled to connect culturally and politically with young, well-educated voters whose support will continue to be critical in a closely divided country. The politics of inclusion demand more than tokenism and may punish erasure. 2012 also marked a new era in the political process that 2016 continued to build on. With the vast amounts of money spent on the creation of a national campaign networks that understand and exploit locality, is a distinct possibility that, in the wake of the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision, that a single suite of political issues may never again be accompanied by a singular musical representation. With the growth of super PACs, and available information to finally target advertising, multiple ways to exploit social media, and the proliferation of news and commentary outlets, campaigns will become octopi, with multiple tentacles meant to grasp specific audiences through locally relevant or single-issue policies accompanied by different musics. 2012 may have seen a final dramatic conjoining of populist policy and musical culture a high modern attempt at crafting a singular musical political nationalism before postmodern campaigning embraces the fragmentation of the electorate and gives up on the project of creating a singular unified people. Populism will no doubt live on in a postmodern guise that is yet to be revealed, but there is little doubt that it will be accompanied by the siren song of popular music. As we can see, from the track listings on Tracks on the Trail, the uses of popular music in this cycle alone are widely varied and will likely continue to be in the future. It is also worth noting an ironic switch that has occurred in the 2016 campaigns. With the successful insurgent candidacy of Donald Trump, there is increasing unease and wrangling about the GOP, who and what it represents. The coalition between religious and social conservatives Tea Party, Libertarians, Isolationists, Imperialists, Small Government, Second Amendment, Hawks, Anti-Tax, Activists, and Fiscal Conservatives is frank. More than playing identity politics, as Romney did, the GOP needs to play at the politics of coalition inclusion. Perhaps Donald Trump 
should re-examine the politics of the mixtape that go beyond his normal classic rock and Broadway-centered sounds. On the other hand, Hillary Clinton now needs to connect with young voters and working-class white men who see no political or cultural connection to her and certainly feel no enthusiasm for her. Clinton's campaign needs to reach out at the level of cultural resonance and similitude that Romney attempted to. Perhaps the Clinton campaign needed to find its theme not in a mixtape, but in a strong statement of solidarity with solution-based young, anxious voters who are tired of identity politics that perform erasure and neglect intersectional and holistic solutions. The Clinton campaign needs a strong, distinct anthem through which to perform unification. But more than these, her campaign needs to do a better job of simply listening. I'm Justin Patch for Tracks in the Trail at Georgia College.